Hello and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm delighted to welcome along this week fashion creative, podcast host, speaker, model, writer, multi-hyphenate, Karen Arthur. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you. How does it feel being a podcaster on the other side of the of the mic? Well, I suppose I started this way, didn't I? I started chatting and then I became the chatter. I was a chatty and then I became a chatter and now I do both. So um, I like it. I think it, it, I don't, I like it because I'm not, I haven't had to cram for this. Everything I say is coming out of my head and my heart. So we're all good. <laughs> we're all good. I think I first became aware of you when I saw the video documentary Menopause Stories made by Bronwyn Parker Rhodes. So oh. that would be about two years ago. I a lot has that. happened for you since then. Yeah. Um, but I think I just remember seeing you on there. There is just something about you in that documentary that is absolutely compelling, like just joy that was kind of coming out of you. And I think the obviously you've got quite a distinctive style and mm. sort of uh, dress sense and everything. Mm. I just thought, wow, who is this person? I want to sort of find <laughs> out more about them. Thank you. How did you get involved in, in doing the documentary? How, oh. how did you get to know Bronwyn? Absolutely. She ended up in my inbox, I think. Just out of nowhere. No, not out of nowhere. She's a friend of a friend. And they introduced me via email and it was all during COVID. Mm. And she said she was doing this documentary and I'm like, yeah, all right. In, which is the spirit of my life these days. <laughs> it's like, have I done it? No. Do I want to do it? Yeah. Okay. Does it sound fun? <laughs> Does it sound like it'll be fun? Absolutely. Yeah. And you have to catch me on the right day, I suppose, because I also turn things down when I'm overwhelmed or I feel like I've been asked too much anyway so she ended up in my house in southeast London and this is before I decided I was going to move so I'm when you said oh it was about two years ago I suppose I'm rem- I'm thinking back to that time so yeah I I we had a great day we had a great day you know and she filmed some of that great bit those great bits and it was just me talking about my life yeah, that's how I feel about my life. I feel like lots of things are opening up, have opened up. Uh, some I've created and the rest are snowballed, I suppose. Yeah. Was it was that before you'd started the podcast? No, no, the no. I, black podcast? No, I started the podcast in, well, I started, I thought about it in June 2020. In the, you know, in that whole time when we were in lockdown and lots of things were happening in America that, we were captive to and life-changing events I would say groundbreaking events in terms of um, anti-racism and Black Lives Matter and I felt compelled to highlight the lack of diversity in the menopause space and I also felt like I couldn't keep my mouth shut anymore so although I hadn't thought oh yeah I'm gonna start a podcast it became very clear that that's that was my path so it didn't drop until Oct- the October World well, Menopause Awareness Month, as it goes. Um, and that wasn't deliberate. That was just the way it worked out. That was me procrastinating and, um, you know, imposter syndrome and, yeah. you know, so staring took a, at my... Took a while yeah, to percolate. Took a while, <laughs> percolate. And then I asked 10 women, I think, 10 black women to be on my podcast. And every single one of them said yes. And I thought, shit, I'm going to have to do it now. And I... So that's, 
that that that's where so I hadn't started podcasting but and I certainly wasn't talking about it because even when I started it I was quite kind of I can't tell anyone I'll just tell my mates kind of thing so when we filmed when we filmed I was just talking talking my talk like I always do you know but it takes something to to put yourself out there and be visible uh, and it same goes I guess for the for the podcast right you you know you're you're putting yourself out there potentially for for all to see and being very very vulnerable and uh, as are your guests hmm. I don't know do you do you ever feel that it's a, a huge kind of weight of responsibility being that very kind of visible public face and representation of when I feel the weight, I step away. I'm very good mm. at that now. And I say no, which is why my podcast, like it's in, it's entering its fourth season, but you couldn't call it consistent in any way, shape or form. You know, I tried, I tried, to stick, <laughs> right. I tried to stick to the, right, I'll do it every two weeks. And that was based on economics because the podcasting platforms, the, the more you um, publish, the more it costs. That was basically, it mm-hmm. wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm going to do, it didn't work that way. Um, and life gets in the way and people don't listen into them every two weeks anyway. So I kind of cut myself some slack. I'm very, very, very gentle with myself these days because I spent decades telling myself off for not doing various things in various ways. So I don't, I don't do it anymore. But I, I've also discovered after I did, um, I don't know whether you've seen it. So there's a video on YouTube with me and my bra and knickers called um, A Star Like You. Uh, that's a fantastic series if no one's ever seen them there's some really absolutely blow you away uh interviews on there yeah and and so they contacted me in august 2019 Mm -hmm. and um they did a shout out on instagram asking their followers if they knew anyone over 50 who had a story to tell and three people tagged me and they had already um, had me on their list anyway. So they, basically the next week, they were in London. So Karen, filming. come and take all your clothes off. And Literally, you know, Karen. Um, <laughs> and I did, and again, in the spirit of, I haven't done that before, that sounds like fun, I'll do it. I didn't think it through. And because it happened so quickly, it's actually quite good that I didn't think it through. Because if I'd have thought, mm-hmm. you're going to be on the internet in your bra and knickers, I probably wouldn't have done it. But I definitely wouldn't. <laughs> right. But it happened. And they are skilled interviewers. They'll ask you a question and then you'll answer it. And then they'll ask you to expand. And the next thing you know, you're spilling your guts. And it's almost like you're peeling off a layer of yourself along with your latest item of clothing. And yeah. that, I think that's the remit as well. So as you're getting undressed and you're standing there and you're vulnerable anyway, it's like in mm. for a penny and for a pound. And so that happened, and then they were gone, uh, Lily and Elise, they're very, very inspirational mother and daughter duo. And then I went away for two weeks with my aunt, and then the video dropped the day I got back, and my inbox exploded. <laughs> and that's because I was vulnerable. That's because all the stuff I worried about, like what I looked like, sharing too much, too much information, TMI, all of that, fell by the wayside because I still get messages uh, underneath the video, in my inbox, people find me, people email me, 
of all demographics, by the way, saying my story resonated so heavily with them. The story of anxiety, of depression, of menopause, of teaching, of stress, of being a strong black woman, of being a woman, of responsibility, all of that stuff. And I realised after that, that my vulnerability is my strength and our vulnerability is our strength. The stuff that we worry about, people knowing about, the shame that keeps us quiet is actually the stuff that needs to come into the light because that frees us. No one's got a hold over me. So yes, uh, my sister asked me this actually, how do you feel now that you're in the limelight? Are you not Mm. worried? And I said, yeah, kind of, but I'm as long as I'm true to me, as long as I'm not lying, (laughs) you know, as long as yeah, I, you're not pretending to be I'm not, something I'm absolutely you're not. <laughs> not I'm living my life I'm very I'm transparent about when I don't want to do something I'm transparent about about um when things don't go right I know that I know the power of the internet and how social media is smoke ostensibly smoke and mirrors mm. and I am aware that when I, I try to keep it as real as possible I feel so strongly about showing up as my wanky phrase incoming true authentic self uh, because because it empower i know that it empowers other people to do the same i i know this and and that permeates into the way i dress uh, she says, sitting here in a grey top. It's grey tops because I'm going to go. So I tried. I tried to wear the happiest things that I could find. <laughs> I can't see you. Your, I know, and our video isn't working. But, I know. Um, but, li- but literally, I am. I'm the kind of the, the most amount of black or navy blue or grey in my wardrobe. So, um, so this yeah, is I've got my bright green cardigan on. That's right. the best I could do. For That's great. But I'm wearing grey. <laughs> this is my um, running gear. So I thought if I put my running gear on now then I'm more like going for a run right I have to exercise first thing in the morning otherwise well I normally do I normally (laughs) do and as far as I'm concerned this is first thing in the morning so allow it yeah from what I wear to uh what I talk about yeah I I think these things are important we we put society puts us in boxes and then we kind of stay there because they're comfortable even though they're not serving us or we're okay. conditioned to because yeah. I think the part about saying no to what doesn't bring you joy and making time mm. and prioritizing rest is something a lot of us are particularly bad at oh it's um, hard it's hard it's so hard and I've spent the last I'd say eight years unlearning seven years since I had my breakdown and left teaching mm. unlearning that just, conditioning, oh, conditioning. So, yeah. so much, so much, and that's hard in itself. Unlearning is hard because it you want to scurry back into your comfort zone. Because mm. do you miss teaching? I miss the kids. Mm. I miss, and I, in a sense, I am a teacher. I go into teach. My teaching mode is my default mode. I, I, I'm an educator. Mm. I miss the classroom. If I go into a school, I feel comfortable. And kids are incredible. They keep you on your toes. They're, they're just, it's, there's just nothing like it. And in fact, when I was teaching, my favourite bit was being in the classroom with the kids where no one could get us, no red tape, no politics, just us, you know, talking, learning. Yeah, I loved it. But I do not miss the other stuff that made it 
uh, impossible for me, to, which was one of the things, sorry, that made it impossible for me to say. And that's lack of resources. That's the constant stress. That's parents. Yeah. Well, the goalposts are always moving as well, I think, aren't yeah. they? And, and, it's, not yeah, an, I, it's not the, a game... I want to say it's a young person's game. I'm, I want what I'm going to say is it's a game for someone with more energy, uh, but unfortunately, the way that it is uh, advertised and promoted is for people who could do that for a bit and then go and do something else. Even in the word "teach first," for example, that mm. campaign it implies that you do that first and then you go and get a real job, and that isn't like when I went into teaching you stayed in teaching and I never thought I would leave it never thought I would leave it you know couldn't imagine being, doing what I'm doing now so yeah. how was it for you kind of reinventing yourself after teaching it happened over a kind of a long mm. period of time and do you know was it sort of like a gradual process of working out who you were if you weren't a teacher yeah I I floundered. I, I plummeted, I would say, spiralled, any of those words. I didn't realise I was doing it. I, I realised I was spiralling, but I didn't realise I was reinventing myself. But I did make a conscious decision to curate the next 50 years on a good day, the way I wanted it. I was never going to do a job I hated, or never going to do a job that was going to create that much stress. I wanted to do what I loved, but... I had to get better first. I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression in February 2015. I was still off work at the time and I was trying to get better to go back to work. That was my goal mm. because I couldn't, it didn't occur to me that I could leave teaching. That, that, mm, that's a lie. It occurred to me, but not ill. I, I wanted to, if I was going to leave it, I wanted to leave it on a high. I didn't recognise how ill I was. And I didn't recognise that it was partly due to menopause, partly due to conditioning, all sorts of childhood trauma, you name it, an abusive relationship, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So I, what I did is I went into therapy. I'd put it off for ages. I, I, did, I needed therapy for years, you know. And in fact, when I, I split with my partner in 2006, 2007, and... Uh, what I did is I threw my energies at keeping my job, being the best I could at my job, and put my girls into therapy. That's what I did. Mm. And I changed Look after my... everyone else right. first. Right. And I, <laughs> I changed my will and I got the house in my name and I did all the practical stuff and ignored myself. And I had a kind of a mini breakdown a couple of years later. But I felt so guilty when I was off work. I was only off work for a week. I felt so guilty. I forced myself back to work. <laughs> That was like the precursor, the foreplay, if you like, for the big event uh, in 2015. <laughs> you know? But um, it became very clear that the thing about therapy is it's expensive. Oh, yeah. And um, I think that therapy... It's a luxury, is isn't it? It's, yeah. it's a luxury that many... For many, it's a luxury. Never, yeah. Understand. And um, it shouldn't be seen as that. It should be seen as a necessity. We should think about therapy like, I don't know, our utility bill. Because literally, it does. We do shut down if if we if if we don't attend to our mind. So so I, but I know that I did it because I had the money, I had some savings, I felt like I didn't have any choice in terms of if I was going to get better, and the money was there, and it was expensive, and 
but it, it was like that's what I'm going to spend my money on. In, yeah, in, yeah. And I, I also thought at the time, I've said this several times. I thought I'd go for six weeks and then I'd be fixed. I thought, oh, I'll do a couple of months <laughs> this, and then I'll be better, and then I'll come out and I'll be this amazing badass freelance person, which I also had massive misconceptions about. And I went. I was in therapy for three years, and it's wow. the best, hands down, the best money I've ever spent on myself like ever and I also haven't ruled out going back but I think I have many more tools in my mental health toolkit uh as we're gonna call it and so when I feel if I get an inkling that something is wrong I've got loads of things I can do and often Mm. that that is it's usually external and it's completely surmountable and I can step away so um but I think that the government needs to chuck money at mental well-being services for everybody, not just, you know, like I said, I could afford it, you know, and, and if I decide to go back again, I can. But actually there is, and I also had a black therapist and I didn't know how important that would become until a year in. Because you go into therapy thinking you're going to talk about one thing and you end up talking about, something completely different and it's usually your dad a revelation (laughs) um so I went in to unpick my upset about having about leaving work and not Mm. being a teacher but it was so much more complicated than that and yeah and and your therapist will see that because that's why People say, I don't need therapy, I just need good friends. No, you don't. They're not qualified. They're not trained. No. And the therapist will call you out on your bullshit, a good one. You know, and um, this is what my lovely therapist did. And the reason it was important for her to be black was because we started on the same page. I never had to explain mm. my experience to her because she had lived my experience. And so we, 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 we were already comfortable I certainly I was comfortable with her and I didn't I can articulate that now but I couldn't when I first started I just knew that when I walked into a room because I shopped around you should shop around for your therapist if you're if anybody's listening is looking into going into therapy don't assume you have to go with the first one no you've got to have that rapport haven't you yeah and you can try for a you know two or three four sessions and and think yeah no this isn't for me and don't second guess yourself because we think well, I need to stick at it because some, for often for people going to therapy is a massive step. And so once mm. they've done it, it's like, okay, I'm here now, fix me. Yeah. And or it's almost like if you, if you have a not great haircut, you feel yeah. like you have to be like, oh, yeah, it's lovely. Um, <laughs> and then go home and cry. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, you're paying oh the money God. for this. It needs, it needs to work for you. Don't, don't just That's so kind of shuffle true. off apologetically. And as women, we do that so much. We don't speak our mind because we're not encouraged to speak our mind. Oh, but that is part of the, deep. I think, the, you know, the, the ageing process is, is kind of you start to shed that whatever those inhibitions about being, as you say, unapologetically kind of you and authentic mm. and going, no, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... Uh... It's an interesting, it's been an interesting process. It is an interesting process because it doesn't stop. When you start to grow, you just keep growing and you you start to notice things and then you can't, you can't unsee them and you can't go back. Like, you know, telling the truth is addictive. Being honest is addictive. I vowed 
when I split with my partner, I was with him for 20 years. I vowed that I would be honest with myself. No, I vowed that I'd be honest with my next partner. But actually that translated to, as I, as I started, as I left teaching, it became, it turned into, I'll be honest with myself first, because often we lie to ourselves. Mm. We kid ourselves that this is what we really want, because we we lose touch of our intuition and we don't, we think a gut feeling is just insecurity or sensitivity and it's not your gut feeling is when it's like when I when I've taken my kids out for example let's say we go for a meal when they were younger and we walk in and sit down and say it was dark or the waiter was ignoring us and my girls got to know she they look at me and they go they wouldn't get too comfortable because they'd go we're not staying here are we and I go yeah it's a there's an energy about it it's like I've spent years wondering why someone didn't like me but sometimes you just don't vibe with people and it's not necessarily about you it's just that I believe that you you're not connecting and and that's fine so I don't go anywhere that doesn't fill me and if I walk into somewhere and I'm not feeling it or something doesn't feel right I'm leaving it's as simple as that it comes back to the saying no thing again doesn't it we get we get so kind of inured in this kind of process of saying everything's fine you know no of course I'll do that when you don't want to do that and and so ultimately you kind of you drift further and further away from the kind of the core of of what you actually want but the other thing is also that yeah absolutely love the word inured by the way I'm going to put that into a (laughs) sentence today if I speak to another human being I'm going to find a way to put it in but and I will say that we also if we hide from what's really going on, it's comforting because if you really open your eyes to being unhappy, then it means that you've got to do something about it. And doing something about it is scary. It's really yeah. scary. And so we just go, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'll go on holiday or I'll buy this bag or I'll I'll, I'll take myself out or I'll get drunk or whatever. We Because mm. that's filled a hole much, with something uh, else. You know, <laughs> it's much, much easier than admitting that your life no longer serves you. But you're allowed to change your mind. You you, you know, as, as human beings, as adults, we're allowed to say, OK, yeah, I made that decision. But actually, that's not lo- no longer working. So I don't want to do that because we don't stay the same. We change, we grow. And that's OK. Mm. I think that's a really interesting point and it kind of comes back to our focus I guess in a sort of western society on fear of failure Mm. and not being able to experiment and try new things and say well actually that didn't work or Mm. no I didn't actually enjoy it in the end Mm. so I'm going to do something else now it's almost like you you, you it's kind of hard to admit that you've Mm. gone down the wrong path but I don't think there are any wrong paths I really don't I, 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 I think that your path is your path. And I think that all the, th- it, you know, years ago when I started my business, I, I had, a, I made bags. Oh, it was a hobby more than a business. I hardly made any money. And, but then when I, when I left teaching, um, I, I threw myself into being a freelancer. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to live, work for myself. It's going to be great. And all, the, all that happens is that you work all the time and then you're ill uh, in a different way. But you're also working for yourself and you haven't got a salary coming in every month. And um, I read somewhere that, you know, you're, you're supposed to fail, that, fa- you know, having yeah. a living is, is a series of failings. And I knew that I was like, oh, I'm not doing that then. I don't want to fail. 
but you, failure, there are no failures. Failures are lessons. They're, they're lessons. And I, I, I just, now I look back on the last, let's go for the last seven years. Let's go, not look, go for the last 60, for God's sake. Not all day, but um, I realized that I failed upwards. I, I, you know, the things that I learned from what I did means that I won't do those again. I'll, I'll go in different directions. So, I, so I, I think that society has this thing around success and failure. But what is success? My success is the fact that I'm gonna run it at, you know, at midday instead of eight o'clock this morning, or. Somebody else's success might be getting out of bed. Somebody's success might be making five figures in a day or that kind of thing. But you have to define your own version of success and go with that. That's what I think. Yeah. I think that's, that's <laughs> another area where social media is not necessarily serving us well because we have so many other versions of success to look at and compare ourselves to and find ourselves wanting. You have to be very careful with social media and you have to go in knowing that whilst it is a connector, can be a connector in many ways, I've made many friends on Instagram in particular, it can also um, make us feel completely inadequate. And so when you recognise that really, let's take Instagram and TikTok, they're not there for entertainment, they're selling tools, you know, Mm. people have gotten hold of that once you know that it, I think it can be easier to kind of try and step away and also that these apps are invented to keep us on our phones this is you know this is they're supposed yeah. to be addictive and beating yourself up for the fact that you're on TikTok let's say five hours a day which sounds a lot but isn't a lot for many there's no point because if you if you are it's doing its job and it takes a lot of strength of character reminders in your phone you know, timers telling you to turn it off, stepping out into the real world to remind you that, you know, that those little apps are there to make us spend more money uh, through fear of not being in the know or on trend or that kind of stuff. And I, I do that, you know, I, I say this like I'm some kind of guru that I, that I'm not, that I don't do these things. Of course I do these things. I like Instagram I, and I've just we're all there for the doom scrolling and the right? you know like, last thing at night oh yeah. god I've, I've just discovered I've just moved to TikTok I've moved to TikTok I've got like four videos on TikTok maybe five and I've got about 12 followers and I'm having the time of my life but I'm also very <laughs> very aware of um how addic- that's even more addictive than Instagram and I didn't think that was mm. possible so I'm, I'm, but I don't beat myself up about it. I'm like, you know what? I'm new here. I'm learning some things. Play. It's great. <laughs> and now let me step and go and look at the sea or something. I'm going to go off on a tangent. We, so there's a lot and you kind of, you know, you've talked a bit about Instagram and there is a kind of a big uh, community on there in terms of sort of talking about perimenopause, menopause and midlife. We don't hear as much about post-menopause uh, and what's kind of going on on the other side? Do you do you consider yourself sort of postmenopausal now? How, do you feel very much different than you did? I'm unrecognisable from the person I was mm. even three years ago, I'd say, and I'm better for it. I am postmenopausal. I 
postmenopausal is like the day after you. Menopause yeah. is one day, and then you're <laughs> postmenopausal. I'm postmenopausal. I take HRT. I also have changed my way I eat. My exercise regime is regime. Don't like that word. My exercise thing that I do is more intuitive. I think differently. I my boundaries are incredible. My relationship boundaries and my work boundaries and my boundaries with myself in terms of saying yeah. You know, Karen, and being kinder to myself, and I think post there is there's two things, isn't there? I mean, post postmenopausal women are in their like, let's say late fifties, sixties, so they're unlearning more. We're unlearning more, and some of us don't want to unlearn that stuff. You know, it's it's too painful. Long. It's painful. Difficult. So so, and also some of us don't like social media. Social media is we're just not on it. We're just living our lives getting on with it you know so believe it or not there is a life outside of instagram you don't have to be on it you also have to remember (laughs) that the media amplifies who they want to amplify and often they amplify the stories the things that can sell their papers or get hits onto their websites and stuff like that so there's a lot of talk about menopause and you know the celebrities I was I was described as a celebrity in a list the other day, and it I, I did it did make me laugh. I was like, "That's really not what I am." But you, you go off, sis. You know, um, but you know, are making a lot of noise. But but of, as they should. But also, there are lots of people who aren't talking about menopause, and when there there are loads of people we're not reaching, and they may be the people who really need, you know, equality and menopause care to be ramped up. You know, people are still. People are still going to the doctor's experience of menopause and being told they're too young or yeah. they or be told they're not allowed to have HRT or if they want it or that you know, that this is still happening. There are people who still don't know that the fact that they're feeling that they can't do their job or they feel brain fog or their body is changing is down to menopause because they've no one in their family is talking about it, whether culturally or whether because it's not a thing they chat about, you know. So I just, I post, but postmenopause can be liberating. You know, it can be, for me, it has been liberating and freeing. And I am enjoying um, ageing. I'm working on some things, you know. I, I think I look one way and then I pass a mirror and I'm like, <laughs> who is that? Get the, get the wrong angle. There's some really bad lighting, and you just look. Oh you know, you you also moved to to the coast, to the seaside, yeah. as I like to put it, yeah. uh, which I'm very envious about. Mm-hmm. Um, is it was that sort of part of your kind of transformation process, reevaluating kind of what you wanted your your next chapter to be? Well, I, it only that urge only started. I always knew I wasn't going to end up in London. I knew that. Mm. But I thought, always thought I'd move close to my mum. My mum lives in Oxfordshire. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, I'll go and live in the countryside. But I, I didn't have any specific plan. I remember putting something on Instagram about wanting a big cottage and holding retreats and stuff like that. And I put a picture of this lovely cottage that I'd found. I don't know whose it is, by the way. I'm sorry. If it's <laughs> Just yours. manifesting you that know. cottage. Um, so I knew I was going to leave, but... During COVID, I became, I spent a lot of time on Rightmove looking at villas in Barbados, <laughs> if I'm honest. And then I became more and more clear about needing space and sea. 
And then it was something I couldn't stop thinking about. And the next thing, so I went on, what happened? October 20, where are we? 21. I, I kept seeing this, this particular retreat kept coming up. Jessica Huey runs the Purpose Retreat. It's in Jamaica. And I, I'd, I knew it existed. I'm not going to lie. And it's a lot of money. And what, but when, what I, the reason I say that is because at the time, when the first time I saw it, I thought, I can't afford that. That's not for me. That's for other people. But it kept coming yeah. up. And then it kept coming up. And, it, and I thought, you know what? I'm going. The money will come. And this is my attitude to most things, you know, is that I believe that money is energy. I think that's a bit woo-woo for some people. But I journal heavily and I write about what I want. And I wanted to go on this retreat. And I had, had so I paid for it on my credit card. And then, and then you know, some the money did come, let's just say. And so I ended up in Jamaica. And before I went in January 2020, this year, and I just, uh, I, w- I was, we did various exercises. And one of the things was about something to do when you get back that you have been putting off. And I said, oh, well, when I get back, I'm going to put my house on the market in like June. And the, my accountability partner was, um, happened to be somebody who's been in property property for like 25 years. And she said, Handy. <laughs> he said, what are you waiting for? Yeah. If not now, when? And I couldn't think of a good answer. So when I got back on January the 20th, I had already, this is the thing, I'd already seen a state agent. So I kind so I kind of was ready. I'd already had the house valued. And so I put it on market. And then just needed that little push. Yeah. And I looked at where I wanted to go and I wanted somewhere where there was an established creative community. I wanted a little bit of diversity, but I wanted to see. That was really important to me. And nine months later, I'm here. So it's a year since I thought about putting the house on the market and moving to the seaside. And everybody, not everybody, a lot of people, when you try to change your life, when you decide to change your life and be different, Lots of people are rooting for me, and that's great. But you get, you know, people who are worried for you, understandably. It comes from a place of love. Or they're like, they give you your fears. So they was like, well, why don't you rent it? I'm like, I don't, I don't need that pressure. I, once I'm done, I'm done, you know. I don't want to rent it. Oh, you'll never be able to move back to London. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. So... Yeah, so I put it on the market and, and it took ages. Another thing, it took a while to sell. I decided it would sell immediately and it didn't. And then it, I got an offer. I just decided, well, I'm leaving anyway. I'm going to get rid of, I think I got rid of 95% of my possessions, which is huge. But I suppose once I'd made the decision, it kind of snowballed. And then I, I got a, decent offer two offers fell through basically and then I got another offer months later and it was higher than the other two and I went for it and then they wanted a very quick uh, sale so I was gone by the 1st of September and um do you feel different having kind of let go of all of that stuff and and being where you are now in in that sort of different environment it was daunting at first and I looked at storage 
and I looked at how expensive it was. And then I did a poll on Instagram and most people said, don't do it. Because <laughs> you end up paying for two years and then you go back to your place and you get rid of it anyway. Yeah. So um, I thought, right, I'm just going to... Like I have, a, I had a lot of clothes, clothes that I absolutely loved, clothes I was keeping as well. Just in case. Um, I just or couldn't get rid of them. I loved them. Emotional, loved, emotionally attached emotion, to. We're emotionally attached to a lot of our clothing. Mm. And I'd made a lot of my wardrobe as well. So it was vintage, some made, some very expensive stuff from when I had a regular salary. But I thought, well, so these will make somebody else happy. So I had some open houses and I gave some clothes away and I gave some to charity and and then I put some, I remember I put some artwork outside, a lot of big jazz artwork and it was bin day and one of the bin men said, are you giving those away? And I went, yeah. He said, can I, what, for free? And I went, yes, do you want them? He said, yeah. So he was, he was so excited that he'd seen, I think it was a big, framed poster of Miles Davis the man was beside himself listen that kind giving that kind of joy out into the world don't we all need more joy definitely and so that's what I did and it feels I've moved to a much smaller place I'm renting at the moment I'm looking to buy every now and then I get up and I go oh I can't wear that anymore because I don't have it but on the whole it just feels um it's cathartic it's, it's cathartic because, bottom line, I just need warmth, shelter and food and love. Yeah. I've got all those things. What one thing do you wish you had known about going into that sort of perimenopause transition? Or would you, would you not do any of it differently? I wouldn't do it differently. But that's because, as I said before, yeah. you know, your path is your path. What happens, happens. And everything that's happened to me and the way that it's happened has made me the person who's talking to you now. Mm. However, if someone had taken it upon themselves <laughs> to tell me that mental well-being was linked to oestrogen and, you know, menopause, I might have um, sat up and taken notice. Like no one was talking about the links between mental well-being and menopause. And that's a big thing. It is a biggie. It's a biggie. It, it's changing, but, it's it, but, changing. but I think there's still a really, it's, really long way to go. I will go. say it's changing, but there is still a lot of talk. When we talk about menopause, we talk about the symptoms, the hot mm. flushes, the tingly, the brain fog. It's related to not being able to do your job. And I'm not really here for that. I get it, but I also think we need to be taking care of ourselves from the get-go and we need to be encouraging young women to be or young people who are going to go through menopause to be doing things that moving towards doing things that they love and not trying to um get into a rat race that will not serve them and that's easier mm. said than done obviously i'm saying it from the other side but we must stop thinking about menopause as being an old person's conversation. It is a conversation to be had. It be, needs normalising, you know? Yeah. Um, I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. I, and it's all tied up with those, you know, what the, some of the things that we've been talking about, about 
prior you know deeply prioritizing yourself deeply knowing yourself mm. and that knowing so much of that energy putting all that energy into Mm. things that don't bring you joy you know Mm. you talk a lot about that you know the the joy the kind of wearing you're happy the Mm. you know yeah that so many things that take that away from ourselves that's two things seeking joy is important this world is a mess Let's not find your joy if you can unearth it. So seek joy wherever you can find it. That's number one. But I would say knowing yourself is key. And we, I didn't learn myself. I didn't study myself until I had my breakdown because I was forced to. And my point is, I don't want anybody to be in the position I was seven, eight years ago. I want, if you start to really listen to, and knowing yourself is about knowing what foods trigger you. Like we know, I know that if I eat a family bag of crisps, they don't call them family bags anymore, they're just crisps. But <laughs> if I eat that one day, you know, like at eight o'clock at night watching All That Glitters or whatever, which is a fantastic jewelry show uh, that I'm waiting for series three. You can cut that out, but I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> if I do that, the next day, my face is going to be puffy. I'm going to feel sluggish. I'm going to feel bloated. I might feel a little bit guilty. I know this. But if I, it, that doesn't mean it stops me. It just means you I know. You choose. Yeah, yeah you go it's here a choice. Eyes wide open. This is my point. Whereas often we do things, we put ourselves in situations, we find ourselves in situations, we eat things that don't serve us, and we don't know because we're not listening. That's the difference. So I'm not saying don't eat those crisps. Eat those crisps, babes. <laughs> This is your permission. On you go. But be aware that these are the things that it's going to trigger and these are the things that it's going to do. So I would say don't, maybe not do it every night, but, you know, cut yourself some slack. But know your, knowing yourself is important. And I'm thrilled that I was able to take the time to do that because, yeah, it's huge. <laughs> well, I can't think of a better place to... to... <laughs> bring it to a close no genuinely i you know i think i'm telling people to eat family bags of crisps it's very important (laughs) but i love it (laughs) but i think you you know we do kind of hear over and over again that menopause transition whatever your you know what used to be called your midlife crisis you know Mm. is a place where we we start to figure out some stuff about Mm. ourselves because we are forced to do that and actually you can go figure some of that stuff out before you are in crisis mode and yeah we encourage you to to spend time prioritizing yourself and and doing just that I would say that menopause is not a death sentence it's not to be feared I meet too many women young women I mean Mm. women my children's age who are like 27 and 32 who are scared of menopause and then like, and then, or they've seen what I do and seen what other people do. And then they're, oh, okay, this is something I might be able to look forward to. Absolutely. Yeah. Aging isn't the problem. It's how we approach it that's the problem, you know. So um, go out there and grab life by the short and curlies. It's yeah. there for living. Go find your joy. I believe I Karen and that. I say so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I'm very, very grateful that you said yes to, to our interview um, and not no. And um, yeah, it's it has been an absolute joy. No, it's been great. Thank it's been you. a lovely little conversation. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> 
you've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.